love is probably one of the most popular topics ever, certainly most to popular topic now. We sing songs about love, we read books about love, we go to movies that have to do with love. We come up with nice love slogans and statements to put on our t-shirts and our bumper stickers and hang on our wall. Uh, we, love, we love love. Um, love, however, has this range of meanings you're aware of. It has uh, this uh, range of topics that we apply it to. Uh, we say that we love our mother, but we also love ice cream, right? That's the kind of range we have with this, where we love our spouse, but we love pizza, Right? Sometimes we love pizza more than our spouse. You, you never know. It depends on the day, how things are going. Um, yeah, we, we, we love um, our kids. Uh, uh, some of you, you love your grandkids. Uh, and you love to travel. Right? So it's, it, it's an English word that embodies all of this range of me. We apply it to so many different things. And sometimes not meaning to that can kind of trivialize the word just a little bit uh, it, it can seem not to have the weight maybe that it needs to have when we shift into some really important topic as it relates to love and specifically when we're, we're trying to get our mind around what the love of God is like and we've been studying first John and and we've said several times love is a big deal to John this is his primary message. He keeps coming back to this need to love one another, this need to live a life of love. And he'll go away with it, as he often does, and then he'll come back to it. And then he'll go away, with, go away from it, and then he'll come back to it. And so we're, we've come, we're coming back around today to some of these places in First John where he just kind of drills down into this topic of love and what it means to be loved and what it means to love what that should produce in us first john uh, is over almost at the end of the bible if you want to find it if you have your copy of the bible we're going to bounce around a little bit in first john so just keep it open and and close because this is really important to john john's the guy who in his gospel wrote the words for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life uh, maybe one of the first verses many of you memorize it's just a really popular verse John's the one who uttered those words about how great God's love is First John chapter 3 he's going to get more into this he writes in verse 1 <clears throat> see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Every English translation of the Bible has its strengths and weakness moments, moments where it gets it really close, and then moments where maybe not quite as close. Uh, the NIV translation, which we use for teaching here at our church, um, I don't think it gives this, this statement the weight that John intended. The NIV says, See what great love. John was more emphatic than that. He was more energized than that. He didn't say see. Some translations say behold. And I know that's not a word none of any of us use in day-to-day -day language. But that was the idea. Behold, look at this. Come on, look at this. Look, look, look. Stop getting distracted. Look at the love of God. It wasn't a casual, you know, see it if you get a chance. It was, no, stop what you're doing. 
Just to think about this. Consider this for a moment. Don't think of this in the way you love ice cream, in the way you love pizza. Look at, dial in, focus on what God's love is like. John was just overwhelmed by this concept that the God of the universe would love him and he wanted everybody to pull away from everything that was distracting them and notice this, and it's the same for all of us. On Sunday mornings, we come and, and we're distracted by a lot of things. Your week has been full of good things and difficult things, just like my week has been full of some really good things and some really, really hard things. We, our, our focus is pulled away to global issues right now, and if John were here, I think John would say, look, behold, can I have your attention for a minute? Let's think about the love of God, for God has put his love on you. It's not a, not a concept out in the cosmos somewhere. It, it, it's not a nice slogan to, to wear on your shirt, to put on your bumper stick. God, who created everything, is all-powerful and all-knowing. He not only knows everything about you, God loves you. Look at that. Like, like consider that. Think about that. He, he's put it on you, and nothing can take it away. It's not that those other things in your life aren't important. He cares about those things too. He just doesn't want you to miss the greatness of his love because you're so distracted by so many other things. Behold, look at, take a minute, soak this in. God loves you. See, look, behold. Again, the NIV says, what great love the Father has for you. What great love. Other translations say, behold, what manner of love. Which I think is a little closer because John said, I, I, I don't even know how to explain this love. The, the word translated great in the NIV <clears throat> and what manner in a lot of other translations is really um, a rhetorical question. And, and it's the question of what country? Think about where did this love come from? Do you know any love like this? And the, the rhetorical question, the answer is no, you don't. You don't know any love like this. You can't experience any love like this. Behold, what manner of love God's put on you. See how great the love of God is. What kind of otherworldly love is this that you received it? You got John's just taken by this idea that God loves him. Because John's like me. Like John's probably thinking, no. I don't even love me sometimes, right? And maybe you feel that way. I don't even love me sometimes. I don't even like me sometimes. I, I'm so disappointed in me sometimes. And John looks at God and God says, I love you. I love you with a love you can't fully understand in your humanness, in your finite nature. You can't comprehend the depth of my love. I'm just telling you, I Love you completely. John is astonished by this. And John wants so much for his readers to just be astonished that they're loved by God. In, in all of their imperfections, in all of their shortcomings, in all of the ways they mess up, God's put his love on you. Now, that means certain things. That changes some things about us. Right? That there, there are consequences and ramifications if the God of the universe has set his love on us. One of those, according to John, is that that love, God's love, it becomes the basis for who we are. 
our identity. That's how we primarily define ourselves. And John, we've talked about it, um, called himself the one that Jesus loved, right? the beloved disciple. This is me. This is how I identify myself. I identify myself in God's love. I'm not the only one that received it, but this is how I identify myself by God's love. And John's telling us this love that God has from, from you. It causes God to call you his children. And then he quickly says, he's not just calling you his children. You are his children. You've been brought into his family. He's, he's adopted you into his family. This isn't a label he's given you. This isn't a title. This isn't a nickname. You are children beloved by God with an overwhelming love. And then sometimes children father analogies break down because we all have imperfect ones. Those of us who are fathers, we are imperfect ones. And so as a stumbling block for some people, because they don't associate overwhelming love maybe with their father or maybe with their parents. John is saying God is a perfect father with a perfect, astonishing type of love that you'll never fully understand or be able to explain that's who you are. You are loved by God. Called his children because you are his children. Something else God's love means for us. God's love means that we can trust God with the things we don't yet know or understand. The things that we don't see coming. The things that we fear. Uh, the things that concern us about our future or the future of our loved ones. The things that we don't know about the future. If we're resting in the love of God, I can trust those things to the God who loves me. I can trust that in the middle of whatever is to come, God is still going to love me and in, 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 as I'm walking through the things that I don't understand God's love is still going to be overwhelming it's still going to be an out of this world type of love this is how John says it specifically in verse 2 dear friends now we are children of God right he's repeating what he just said we are that and what we will be has not yet been known like we don't, there's a lot of stuff about the future we don't know about but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How, why do we know that? Because God loves us. Why do we have this confidence? Why do we have this hope? Because God loves us. We are his children. We, we don't know what the future holds. We, we don't know what we're going to be like. We, there's a lot about heaven we don't know about. There's a lot about eternity we don't know about. There's a lot about tomorrow we don't know about. Right? Anything from this moment forward... We have more questions than we have answers. And John says, this is what we know. We know we're his children and he loves us. So that thing that we don't yet understand, that fear that we have about the future, we can trust it to a God that loves us. I found it interesting that John's the one saying, no, we, we don't know what we're going to be like. Because John, more than anybody, had seen heaven, right? He, he wrote the book of the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and he, he sees all this stuff happening in heaven. And then when he's writing about the future, he says, I, I don't know. A lot of stuff I don't know. I, I just know that God loves me. And he's shaping me into the image of Christ because he loves me. I can trust him with what is to come because I'm loved by him. There is a security 
There is a safety when you are genuinely, honestly loved by someone, right? Hopefully you've experienced that. You, you have someone that you just know you are loved by and there is, there is security in that relationship. God is that times a million, right? His love for us is overflowing with this sense of you're safe. I've got you. I love you. This world's hard sometimes. God's not removing us from challenges. He's not removing all obstacles out of the way. God is saying, my love is on you no matter what you go through. I like to know things. Maybe you're not that way. I like to know. Like, I like details. Give me a plan. Show me the spreadsheet. How's this going to work out? Right? Just do the sum. Give me the average. Let's see. Put it in a graph. I like to know. I want to know. We don't get to know about a lot of things, do we? We don't get to know. And those of you close to my age, you're, you're probably like me. Now you can look back at your life and you think, man, I... I wish I'd known then, right? Or we think things like, as I lose more people close to me, we think things like, we didn't know how little time we had left. We think things like that. We didn't know that the diagnosis was a few months away. We didn't, this is a didn't know life experience down here if you hadn't figured that out. This is a, we're just not gonna know some things. And we're going to walk into something and not see it coming. And John is saying, before you get there, God's love is already on you and there and going to be with you when you're in it. That's why we got to stop every once in a while. And we got to think about the overwhelming, astonishing, unbelievable love that the creator of the universe has put on us. That's why John's so wrapped up in this. That's why John keeps repeating himself. Stop. Behold, look at this, look at this. I know life is hard. He's not denying that. Just remember you're loved by God. He goes on to tell us that this love that God's put on us, one of the things it should do in us is that God's love should motivate us to live for him. I mean, if we're overwhelmed with this kind of incredible love, then our response to that love is, yes, God, whatever you want. Yes, God, I want to walk in the love that you have for me. Not because I'm trying to earn God's love, because we can't earn God's love. We can't keep God's love. We can't hold on to God's love. We're not, we're not trying to, to get God's love from him. He's already poured his love out on us. We just want to walk in it. We want to respond to it. When we've received that kind of love, why wouldn't we walk in obedience to him? John says it this way in verse 3. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he's pure. Like if you've experienced this love, if you have this confidence about eternity, if you have this confidence about the future, then you're going to align your life with this love. You're going to align your life with this God. This is the natural response to an overwhelming love that we have received. That's what you've been given. The God of the universe creates all things because he loves us. Redeems us back because he loves us. He puts his love on us. And then John, then then John makes a turn. 
He's really excited about God's love flowing towards us. But then John argues that if God's overwhelming love flows towards us, that same love should be flowing out of us. It's not a one-way stream here. Like we're not just collecting all of this love and say, "Woo, this is great, and I'm going to live in this love, and it's great that I'm loved. John's saying if this is happening, it ought to be spilling out of us to the people around us. This is uh, verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. And if you pause long enough and you recognize how great the love of the Father is for you, what is the NIV says, lavished on you, is given to you freely, abundantly, it's never going to run out. When you, when you recognize that, then you have to recognize that other people need to feel this love coming out of you. He says you've known this from the beginning. Back in chapter 2, we ran across that, that part where John says, well, this is an old command and a new command. It's old because we've been saying it forever. Jesus said it. God said it in Deuteronomy. It's old, but it's got to be new every day. Every day. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be new. It's got to be flowing out of you. The world needs to experience the overwhelming love of God coming out of you. He contrasts that with its opposite in verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Like John goes all the way to the opposite, right? From love to murder. But it was Jesus who said that if you hate a, another person in your heart, you've committed murder. It's the same. This, this emotion is dangerous, Jesus says. You need to get it out of you're alive, John's contrasting love with a hatred for other people. John says, don't allow your lack of love to lead you in this direction. Don't allow your lack of not just receiving the love of God, but giving out the love of God to cause you to be in conflict with people all the time. John even mentions the world. Don't be surprised. Like You'll look in the world and you'll see this. You'll see that people have a tendency toward cruelty toward one another you'll see that there is a tendency to, to conflict to attack there is a tendency in the world to win to point fingers to, to be better than to have the right comeback John said be careful of that because you exist in this world that has this particular mindset about it, it will begin to shape you into that mindset. And if you're not careful, living in this world where there's cruelty, where there's arrogance, where people are condescending, where people are, are putting on a scale and recording better than and less than, you'll, you'll get sucked into that. Like you'll begin evaluating everybody. You'll, you'll begin deciding who's worth your love and who's not worth your love. John says you've got to guard against that. And the way you guard against that is with love. Every day, every morning, new love, love one another with the love that God has given to you. John even says, this is the hallmark characteristic of following Jesus. This is the clearest way 
People are going to know that you follow Jesus. Not that you came to church on Sunday. I'm glad you came to church. It'd be lonely here without you. But John doesn't say that's it. That's how they're going to know. That's the hallmark characteristic of your life. You show up for church. John says it's love. Verse 14. We know. We know. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how you know. If you need to run a self-evaluation, you need to do a scan of your own spiritual life, see where you are. John says, this is how you know. You love one another. Hallmark characteristic, hallmark quality of the spiritual life. Jesus said the same thing, right? Jesus said, they'll know... You're my disciples because you love one another. It's not the only characteristic. But John seems to think it is the most telling of all the characteristics. That coming out of your life is a love that can't be defined by the world. It's not based on what somebody does for you. It's not based on some worldly measurement it is a freely given love like the love that you've received. So then John says, well, what does that look like? like do, if, can I, if I can give you a picture of what this looks like, verse 16, he says, this is how we know what love is. This is the picture. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's setting the bar really high, isn't it? Like it would have been nice if John had given us something that wasn't quite as unattainable. John says, you don't know what I'm talking about. You've got to remember that God sent his son who divested himself of his title and power and rights and all of the privileges that went along with being the son of God. He made himself nothing and gave his life Oh, wait, that's the picture. If you, if you need something in your mind to know whether I'm, I'm doing this right, that's the picture. Jesus, who created everything, gave everything away. Uh, out of his love. It was a sacrificial love. It was a love that was willing to die. It was a love that w- was willing to give everything up for us and so am I loving in a way that's comparable to that I think sometimes we get hung up on the specifics of that and the reality is probably no one here is going to be asked to physically die for somebody else we're not going to step into that role that opportunity is probably never going to present itself for any of us and so if we aren't careful that can just become sort of a theoretical ideal Jesus gave his life away I'm going to give my life away I'm going to be like Jesus Jesus sacrificed himself I'm going to sacrifice myself and if we aren't careful again that becomes sort of a spiritual ideal a theoretical concept even a a, a theological topic to discuss and debate and and work out the specifics of, well, what is that? And how did it happen? And what was the process? And what was one, two, three, four, five? We can debate and discuss all of that. And I think John's afraid we're going to do that because he turns around 
And he reminds us, you also need to know that love is practical. Love is not theoretical in its implementation. Love has to be practical. These are John's words in verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, compassion on them, their heart doesn't go out to them. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. What's the ultimate example? The ultimate example is that Christ gave his life away. Guess what? You're, you're never going to have to do that. It's not going to happen in your life. So let's not make that some theory. Let's actually love somebody in a practical way. And John says, here's one example. If you see somebody and they're without, and you have, right? The, the phrase is, if you have the, the stuff of life, right? You have, you, you're doing okay. You have worldly possessions, maybe not as much as somebody, but you're fine, you're doing okay, and you run into somebody who has a need that you could meet, then love would say, just meet the need. That would be the practical outworking of the spiritual ideal because you can't fulfill the spiritual ideal. You could fulfill the day-to-day -day practical outworking of love, which is, who do I see that I can tangibly love tomorrow who am I going to interact with that, that I could physically enter into their life and maybe it's an emotional need or maybe it's a physical need or maybe it's a financial need John says love goes about this life looking for those moments sensitive to those moments aware of those moments and unafraid to step into those moments let's don't let's don't love John says in words and speech. Let's not talk about this. Let's not just preach really good sermons about it. Let's not take good notes about this kind of love. That's not what he's talking about. Let's not come up with a, a nice new slogan that we can put on the wall about love. John says, let's not, let's not love in, in, in word and speech. Let's love in deeds. Let's be examples that people could see us and they could see what love actually is. Now, this becomes important in just a minute. John, as he often does, moves away from this topic. Right? We said he's uh, <clears throat> cyclical in the way he argues in, this, argues in this letter. So he goes away, kind of chases a rabbit over here. And then a few verses later, he comes back to the same topic. This is chapter 4, verse 7. And he's going to repeat many of the things that he's already said. Just going to say them over in a different way. Okay, like we will have already forgotten by the time we get to this point in the letter, right? Just like parents do. You, you say it over and over again because they've already forgotten. All right, this is John, chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. He's already said that. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He's already said that. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He's already said that. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Not a new concept. He's already said that. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. So John goes away from the topic. He comes back and then repeats himself, right? Just like preachers do. He repeats himself all over again. Let me say it a little bit differently. Maybe you'll get it this time. But then he says this, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Now, he hasn't said that yet. We have this overwhelming love that we've received, demonstrated in Jesus who died and rose again for our sins. That love should flow into our lives, and then it should flow out of our lives, and to the degree that it does, John says. To the degree that you and I live in love, the world gets to see what God's like. The world sees God, apparently, to the degree that we love others. John says, nobody's seen God. Like, we, we can't say, here's God, everybody see him. Right? We can't put a picture of God up. Nobody has seen God. Here's how people see God in the world today. You and I love others. Then they get to start figuring out what God's like because we start loving the way he loves and they begin to have an impression of who God really is and what God is really like we are the expression of God we aren't God we aren't gods we are the expression of what God is like because his love has come into our life and we're making practical ways for it to spill out of our lives and John said that's how they're going to see God that's how they're going to know God. There, there are people who don't have a concept of who God is, and that concept is going to begin to clarify when they see us acting in love toward others. There are people who are anti-God and anti-religion and anti-church for a host of reasons, their own personal experiences, their, their backgrounds, whatever's happening in their own life there are people who want nothing to do with God you know how they're going to begin to see God is when they see us love one another nobody's seen God but the way the world sees God is if you love other people with the love that you have received from him and then John adds this really interesting line John says <clears throat> If we love one another, God lives in us. In other words, that's the proof. That's how we know God lives in us. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. That's a bold statement. God's love is made complete when you and I love each other. As we love others, John says, we complete God's love. It's just hard to kind of wrestle with, right? It's, John's not saying that God's love is incomplete without us or God needed us for his love. I think what John's saying is God's plan for his love is not complete just when you receive it. Just when you take it in. I mean, that's wonderful, the fact that you are overwhelmingly loved by God who would send his son for the forgiveness of your sin. That is unbelievable, but that's not where it stops. John says the way God's plan for love gets completed is his love flows through you out to other people. 
It's like a circuit. Like it has, it has to go through all of those places. You can't, you can't break the circuit at some point and understand the complete fulfillment of God's plan for love in the world. God's love gets completed in us when we receive his love and then we begin to give it out to other people. John was serious about this. Right? For 90 plus years, John lived this. John just kept telling people, you gotta love one another, you gotta love one another, you gotta love he says in verse 16 and so we know and rely on the love God has for us yes we do God is love whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them whoever lives in love we're not perfect at it but our Love, our, our attempts to love is not something we do occasionally, according to John. The goal is not, oh, I need to do something loving for this week and check that off, right? I need to do a couple of loving things each month. That's, that's not John's goal for us. John says the goal is that we would live in love, like the environment of our life admitting that we have imperfections. We're not going to get this right every time, but the environment of our love, the atmosphere of our life is that people would experience the love of God from us. We would, we would live in this realm. It would become our nature to reflect God's love to other people. And as we're reflecting God's love to other people, they're seeing God that they haven't seen before. If we live, in love are there other characteristics of the spiritual life that are important absolutely are there other qualities that you and I should exhibit as followers of Jesus absolutely but all of those qualities all of those characteristics should be exhibited in the environment of love we should be holy we, we should pursue justice we should love mercy all of those things are true. But John seems to be saying all of that should exist in an atmosphere of love in your life. And, and honestly, those other things are conveyed so much better in an environment of love, aren't they? Like sometimes we have to tell people the truth that's going to be hard to tell. Somebody that we care about. Sometimes we have to confront people. If we have lived in love with that person, truth-telling takes on a whole other dynamic than if I just kind of rush into their life and have some truth to tell them. God does that with us, doesn't he? Like God has to confront us sometimes. God, God has to challenge us sometimes. God's word confronts us sometimes but God always confronts us in this environment of you are overwhelmingly loved this doesn't change my love for you I, because I love you I want to say these things all those, all those other characteristics to the degree that they exist in love they become easier to live out that's what God has called us to as we get ready to close this morning we just want to bring our minds around 
this ultimate expression of God's love for us. What John referenced several times. That God, the picture of ultimate love, was that when you and I did not deserve it, we're not interested in it, God sent His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. This was the depth of His love. That even though we had broken relationship with Him, we had sinned, we had walked away from His plans for our life, God gave the very life of His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we would never be tempted to question His love. Whenever we think, does God love me? God's saying, just, just look what I would do for you. Just look at the depth of my love for you. In your seat, there was a cup. I ask you to take the bread. As Jesus was preparing for this moment, when he would demonstrate the love of God he gathered his followers he broke bread and he said this is my body it's going to be broken for you because God loves you and I love you it's going to be broken do this in remembrance of me For thousands of years, God had been saying to his people, there is a cost for sin. That cost is the shedding of blood so that we could be made right with God. And the writer of Hebrews kind of spoils it for us because he said, you know what? None of that stuff in the Old Testament mattered. All the blood of all the rams can't take away a single sin God was just getting ready because the spotless lamb was going to come one day and he was going to shed his blood once and for all for all the sins of the world and so on that night Jesus took the cup and said this is my blood of a new covenant not one of rams and pigeons but of God himself sacrificing this is my blood of a new covenant it's going to be poured out for you so drink this cup in remembrance of me God we come to you in all of the love that you have poured out on us. Like John, we say, of what country? How do we explain this? How do we understand this? We can't. Look at it. Consider it. How unbelievable the love the Father has poured out on us. 
God, I pray that every person here is received of that love. That by trusting in Christ, his death and resurrection, the love of the Father is fully flown into their life. But I pray that your love's flowing out of us too. It wasn't given to us for us to store up and reserve and to hang on to. We have it so that as we love others, the God that we worship could be seen in this world. A world full of hatred and conflict. A world full of cruelty. A world that needs to be pierced with love. Maybe we be the ones who show that. I pray it in Jesus' name.